0: right folks we are um, looking at the book of Isaiah so if you there are some blue and purple Bibles at the end of the rows and uh, if you've got one of those we're looking at Isaiah chapter 50 so um, if you've got one of those it's on page 700 no 699 and there we go if you want to follow along in the blue and purple ones Isaiah chapter 50 we're going to read the whole thing So Isaiah chapter 50. So the passage is in two halves, or, well, not really halves, but uh, in two sections. Uh, the first few verses uh, are um, God's, um, God speaking directly to his people. And uh, this is what it says. This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce, with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins, you were sold. Because of your transgressions, your mother was sent away. When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to deliver you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? By a mere rebuke, I dry up the sea. I turn rivers into a desert. Their fish rot for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with darkness and make sackcloth its covering. And then the second um, section is then this is what the uh, the servant of the Lord uh, says. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. Um, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my eyes. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who are my accusers? Let them confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let those who walk in the dark, who have no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Why don't we pray? Father, when we read your word, we're humbled before it. We've just been singing about how much uh, we need it because it is uh, life to us. And yet so often, Father, we're, we're willing to sort of say those things about your word, but we're not willing to say the other part of all the things we've sung, that we are the ones who are needy, we are the ones who are thirsty, we are the ones who are dependent on what your word says about us. And so, Father, I pray that as we, as we look at this, we wouldn't be as those people described at the end of that, the, that last verse, we wouldn't be as those who light our own fires, try and make our own path through life, but that we would be dependent on your word. And help us to start that now as well. Oh, man. Um, can I ask you a question the, um, it's just a question for you to have at the back of your head as we go through this um, and the question is if you're a Christian in what are the ways that you try and copy Jesus what are the things that kind of the, the parts of his character that you like that you try and copy if you're not a Christian you might want to think well, what are the things you admire about Jesus but that's it's just a little question to have in the back of your head as we go through this what are the things that you want to copy about Jesus? Up until Easter, we're, we're going through the book of Isaiah, um, and uh, written by this prophet, uh, Isaiah, uh, unsurprisingly enough. Um, and just to remind you, it's written about 700 years before Jesus. And um, we're looking at uh, a series now, as we kind of go, go out to Easter, of these servant songs. And this, the, the one we've just read is, is Servant Song number 3. Um, in terms of how it th- 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 how it goes through, and there's songs about this future king. And it, do you remember there's kind, of, there's kind of a number of things that are wound together. He's he's a king, but he's a servant. And one of the things we begin to see through this one and, and others is that he is a suffering servant king. And uh, it's no surprise when you get to the New Testament and uh, you find the New Testament writers g- going back to these servant songs and saying. Um, Oh, look at Jesus. He is the suffering servant king that Isaiah spoke about and said was, was going to come one day and to kind of sh- shows the significance of, of the, how these things have been fulfilled. And uh, so this afternoon, what, what we're going to look at, I'm just going to show you some different ways that Jesus fulfills this servant song. Okay. But then we're going to think, so we're going to look at the servant and kind of, kind of how Jesus fulfills the, the promise of the son. But we're also going to look at how we live in the light of the servant so this isn't just an instruction to us to say hey look at Jesus isn't he great there's also a real challenge at the end of this passage which is so how do how we how are we going to live and so that's what we're going to look at towards the end okay so let's have a look at the start um oh no my clicker isn't working sorry tab I might need to point at you every now and then to ask you to click it along if that's all right oh is that oh no I can do it I can do it okay great okay so need of the servant here we go um so passage starts with uh, the need for the servant the need for the servant and it ho- it starts with this is when god's kind of um, addressing his people before we get into the servant song and it's a reality check for the people of god and he's saying, listen, the reason that you're in such a disastrous situation, and you, you remember the history here, the uh, the blue arrow or the purple arrow shows where they came from in Jerusalem, and the red arrow shows where they are now over in, over in Babylon, so they're a long way away from home. And uh, the um, the passage starts r- with God reminding his people, saying, because of your sins, you were sold. Because of your transi- transgressions, your mother was sent away. It's this kind of story of saying, you're, you're in the situation you're in because of... Uh, what has happened you haven't stuck closely to God you've had a very low view of God Um, but it's interesting even in in how God describes it in verse 1 is is to say listen there hasn't been there isn't a divorce here so you know God is not done with his people but because of their sins they're now in this desperate situation the surprise though is that there's nobody left there's no one left following God when I came why was there no one when I called, why was there no one to answer? Is this, and actually, it's very consistent with what the rest of the Bible says, which is basically everyone at times walks away from God. No one, none of us here would dare to stand up and say, actually, you know, I've got, a sinless, I've got a sinless track record. I'm pretty sure I've never made any mistakes in life. I'm pretty sure I've kept my nose clean, never done anything wrong. Now, you might be the kind of person who says, but yeah, but fundamentally, I'm a good person. When I compare myself with other people around me, I'm pretty good. And you can be sure that the, lots of the people who were originally kind of sitting there in Babylon, listening to these sermons being read out, had exactly the same view. Some of them probably thought, yeah, but you know what, I'm not that bad. And so God here has to say to them, and he says it to us, the reason you're in the mess you're in is because you're not as good as you think you are. I mean, I know we all operate with our own kind of a little morality, kind of in terms of thinking that uh, by our own standards we're good people. God is reminding them and us that we are tainted. If perfection is the pass mark, everyone goes home as a failure. So what is astonishing about this passage is that there is one person who does obey God. And this little interaction reminds us that... um, when we're reading these passages, we, we, we don't just think to ourselves, I need to copy Jesus as best I can. We need to remember that, that we need Jesus to be our rescuer, not just our example. We need Jesus to be our rescuer, not just our example. Sometimes examples are not enough. I, I was watching um, for the first time last night. This is our new family thing Ninja Warrior UK. I don't know if anyone's got into that, it's quite addictive. Um, And uh, it's always nice, isn't it? When when you're watching a TV program, there are some TV programs, maybe a quiz show or a game show or or something, you're watching and you think, oh yeah, I could do that. I was watching Ninja Warrior UK and I did not have that. (laughs) I was watching it thinking, I need more than a good example. (laughs) I get the idea, but there are some reasons why (laughs) I couldn't do the Ninja Warrior UK course. We need Jesus as more than an example to the perfect life. We need him to rescue precisely because we don't live the perfect life. Which gets into the second thing, not just the need for the servant, but the mission of the servant. And the mission is to to speak the word of God to the weary. So this is what the servant says in verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. The mission of the servant of God is to speak the word of God and it's, it's, the, it's the word that brings mercy and joy and peace. It's no surprise then that when we so, travel forward to Jesus, we find him spending time with people, teaching a vast array of different kinds of people. And they're surprised at what he says. There's a brilliant bit in the start of Mark's gospel that says the people were so amazed. And they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? Because they could hear in, in the voice of Jesus that he, that he taught. He, he was bringing the kind of teaching and preaching that brought rest. He spoke to people experiencing all sorts of religious oppression. He healed people who were unable to worship God. He spoke with people who he wasn't really supposed to speak to, who people who were completely outside of the people of God, Samaritans, Gentiles. He crosses borders precisely to help the weary. And when we read about him kind of doing those things of bringing, preaching into people's weariness, it's not just, you know, I don't know about you, I, I'm telling you, you know, four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, you know, I know what weariness is, you know, that's how you, I had a bad, bad night's sleep last night, I know what, I know what it is to be weary. It's not that. Jesus Jesus says, come to me, all you you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And the very next verse, he says to them, you will find rest for your souls. It's not just that. Come to me, and I will give you a good night's sleep. It is come to me. and All that way that you've been anxiously rebelling against God, searching for things that will make sense of your life. If you come to me, I will give you that. I will give you that. I will give rest to your soul. That anxiety, that fear that you don't know God. That means at the end of yourself, because of grief, because of life hasn't gone in the direction that you ought to have been going. So that's the mission of the servant. One of the key things, though, that's really emphasised through this passage is the endurance of the servant, though. The endurance of the servant, particularly to listen to the word of God Um, as as the way of getting his endurance so the the external mission is to preach the word of God to to the weary, to weary souls the internal mission that he's got though is to continue to speak that comfort to the weary when it's really really hard and actually, for the mission, the mission of the servant isn't just, you think, oh, how hard can it be? Travelling around, you're telling people, I will, give you, I will give you rest for your souls. It's not that difficult. Um, but we all know, don't we, in, in terms of how it works out with Jesus, it's not just a case of um, preaching God's peace. It is to bring God's peace. And the servant of the Lord says, I have lived differently. I've opened my ears, I haven't been rebellious, I haven't turned away, I'm different to the rest of humanity is what he says in uh, in verse 5. And that means he is different and, and he is different in the worst kinds of suffering. So in verse 6 he says, I, I offered my back to those who beat me, I offered my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I didn't hide my face from people mocking and spitting. Verse 7 talks about him... Um, Having, having his face set like flint, which is kind of the, the hardest rock. It's basically saying, I'm going to carry on doing what I know I need to do, whatever comes at me. My face is as hard as the hardest rock to make sure that I'm pressing on with the mission that I've got. Now, it, it's terrible to think this is what the the, the servant is going to go through. But it's t- it's showing us the kind of grace of the servant to continue. He is unrelenting in his mission, even to the point of great personal cost. The battle on the inside is tremendous. And I think, very often, it's not a battle we think of for Jesus. We kind of think, oh yeah, but Jesus, he's, he's just so awesome, he's so... You know, he's, he's such an in- incredibly strong character, isn't he? He's, he's, so, he's so determined, he's so resolved, he never flinches, he just kind of seems so resolute in the face of suffering. He sweats drops of blood in, in Gethsemane the night before the cross, but he still goes to the cross. And what we're supposed to see, he's willing to die on the cross because that was his mission. He never stepped back from his mission, not even when it was profoundly costly and expensive and difficult and painful. Mark records the moments before the crucifixion when he's in the care of the guards and he says they they put a purple robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on him and they began to call out to him hail king of the Jews it says again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him falling on their knees they paid homage to him It's what this is saying. I, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I didn't hide my face from mocking and spitting. This is the endurance of the servant. This is what he goes through. When Jesus could have backed out, he, he never did. Now, let me ask you the question, okay? What makes the servant the person who is intensely compassionate in terms of the the message they bring, intensely compassionate. And also, I have this incredible determination. Completely determined. They they are very rare qualities to find in, in someone, aren't they? You know, try and think of someone you know who is the tender and compassionate one, the person who's, you know, they're always wise, they've always, they've always got a cup of tea on the go, you can go to them, have a cry with them, kind of talk things through with them, they always say good things to you. Think of that, have you got, have you got, can you think of someone who, who sort of functions a bit like that? Now try and think of um, someone who is strong and who is unflinching in the face of opposition, who never, you know, backs down over criticism, who is single-minded... Now, how many of us thought of the same person in both those roles? Probably, probably not many. If you found someone like that, they, were very, they are very rare. Some of us are, are, are strong and resolute. Some of us are kind and wise. You rarely find the two together. And if you're strong and unflinching, if, if you're that kind, you tend towards being a bully because um, in order to not be squashed by other people, you tend to squash other people. And if you're tender and gentle and kind, then you tend to being weak and backing down in the face of opposition and you're heartbroken when people speak badly of you because that matters to you very greatly. And yet what is striking about Jesus is these two things are always interwoven. He always speaks the truth in love. His love is never expressed without truth. He is strong without being overbearing. He is resolute without crushing others. He is strong-willed and yet he's ne- we never see him being cruel. He's compassionate but he's never timid. He's weak but he's never I'm sorry, he's, he's meek but he's never weak. And I think as we're going through our 50, the question we really want to ask is what is the air that he breathes that makes him like that? What is the air that he breathes that makes him like that? And this is the fourth thing that is really emphasised through the whole Um, the whole of this uh, chapter in Isaiah. It's not just the endurance of the servant, but the dependence of the servant. And particularly his dependence on God's word and how he knows God helps him. This is the thing that he says in verse four, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. Then verse 8, he who vindicates me is near. Who will bring charges against me? He knows what God thinks of him. And because he knows what God the Father thinks of him, he doesn't care of what others think of him. And again, your mind rushes forward to Jesus. What does Jesus do when he's being tempted by Satan out there in the wilderness? Time and time and time again, he quotes the Bible. He's dependent on God's word. What does Jesus do when he's being cross-examined by religious authorities, he quotes the Bible. What does Jesus do when he's telling the disciples about his mission? He quotes the Bible. What does Jesus do when he's on the cross? He quotes the Bible. The air that he breathes is a dependence on the word of God, whether it's in the face of accusation, whether it's in the face of trial, whether it's in the face of death. And he doesn't consider, he doesn't hear the taunts and the lies and the mockery and the false accusation. That stuff, it never sets him off course. His his face is set like Flint. He's utterly determined because he is utterly wrapped up in what God the Father thinks of him. You're only free to serve with love and compassion and grace and do so without being set off course by all sorts of things when the thing that consumes you is knowing how God feels about you. When you know the verdict that hangs over your life is that you are loved by God and forgiven by God, it gives you a resilience to endure all kinds of suffering and yet continue to put yourself out there in terms of preaching mercy and and kind of ministering to people in mercy in all kinds of situations. This is why this servant is so different. So those are the different characteristics of the servant, but I guess the question for us as we come to this is to say, okay, well, what's our response supposed to be? How do we begin to experience this kind of thing for ourselves? And that's the real challenge of the passage. How do you do the external mission, the speaking the word of God with tenderness to the weary, whilst also doing the internal mission of kind of listening to the word of God for endurance and being able to carry on face like flint, being able to carry on regardless of um, of, of any kind of persecution? Because we've got to do this in, I guess if we are in the army, it would be called in, in a live fire environment. The live fire is when real bullets are zipping around. Real bu- you know, and sometimes they have to practice with real bullets zipping around. Just so they get a sense of how anxious that really is. That's the environment we're in all the time. We need to learn how to do ministry in a situation where we're suffering. Where times are hard and when things are, uh, are not always going our way. When we're walking blind. You know the the Apostle Paul when he when he planted a whole chain of churches, then he would go back and sometimes he'd have the opportunity to go and visit them again. And uh, in Acts 14, they give you this. Uh Uh, they give you luke gives us all all we get is the title of his discipleship series as he traveled through the 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 churches to kind of effectively kind of go and visit these christians and give them the essential christian guide to living or you know whatever it is that he's, he's kind of doing and and this is what it says in acts 14 this is his little summary we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of god it's basically said that the key thing you really need to know about is how to endure suffering and to continue doing the mission that God has given you to do. What happens to the servant happens to us. His beard is pulled out, he's spat on. And, okay, Some of you are going, well, yeah, I don't have a beard. Um, <laughs> or, yeah, well, I can't remember the last time I got spat on. I'm pretty sure it was on the bus and uh, it wasn't anything to do with my faith or something like that. Fine. Let me give you some examples of kind of how, where I think this begins to work out for us in, and, and kind of what this begins to be, that this, doing the external mission, doing the internal mission, holding these things together. Okay, let me give you a couple of examples. What are you like in... These are totally hypothetical, but, but go with them. You'll, you'll see, you'll see where we're going. What are you like when you've spent an hour in your house looking for 300 quid that you took out to pay a repair bill on the car and now you, you don't know what you did with the money you suspect someone nicked it and, it, and it and it's gone you cannot find it anywhere and then at that point after you've been hunting through the house for an hour you, the kids are just kind of running around you and, and, and they're, they're winding you up and they're, they're kicking and screaming and, and you've had a hard day at work and you've lost this money and now the kids are kicking off now at that point it's thrown in another element what happens when A relative who you don't get to see very often rings you up on the phone, and all they do for a good 45 minutes is is moan to you the same moans that they always moan about, and they don't they don't ask about your situation at all. They don't they're not interested in anything you've been through and the difficulties of your day. They just moan and moan and moan, and you do what you always do: you try and offer some help, you offer some Bible verses to them, and uh, you know you feel pretty frustrated. They dismiss everything you say, and then you put the phone down. Lost 300 quid. Kids, kids kicking off. um, Relative not interested in you at all. What do you do at that point? Those are kind of they're normal situations, right? And at that point, you want to cry, don't you? Or what happens when you devote your whole life to 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 a caring profession, being a doctor or a nurse or a care home assistant or or a TA in a school, and you spend every day feeling like you're being mistreated and mismanaged and underpaid and underlooked after and then you go through a particular day where the kids are rude or your patients are hurtful and then one of your colleagues find out that you have some what they consider to be desperately old fashioned views on sexuality and they make a complaint against you at work that's unjustified and then other friends find out and they post things about you on Facebook and defriend you on Facebook and ridicule and accuse you of hate crimes and do all the things to you that, that they're accusing you of having done to everyone else that you haven't done. And then you get suspended from a job that you love. And you feel alone and rejected. And then a Christian friend who you're used to relying on phones you up and says, well, What did you do wrong? that God let this happen to you? You must have done something wrong that means this has happened to you. How do you feel at that moment in your life? You want to you scream? You want to shout? You want to exercise some rage? What are you like when you are hemmed in like this, being squeezed by life? How do you... Continue to live a godly Christian life with the mission of preaching tenderness, gentleness, kindness to people, whilst being absolutely resolved not to be set off course, face like Flint in the face of persecution and difficulty. Because at those moments, the real you, the essence of who you are and what you value, really does get exposed. There's nowhere to hide in those moments what you really think, what you really believe, what you really value, what, how you see the world. Some of us get angry, indignant, because we can't believe this has happened to us. We think to ourselves, I don't deserve this. I, I deserve better than this. Never imagined life would, would get so hard. And we cross at the choices we made, and we cross at the people who helped us make those choices, and we cross at everything that got us into the situation. Some of us do something very, we just emotionally retreat into ourselves to protect ourselves we expect to be more comfortable and we have this fear that what has happened to us is exactly what we deserve out of life and our thoughts are filled with self-pity and self-doubt and we've got absolutely no room left to serve anyone else okay against that backdrop I ask two questions for you <laughs> easy question hard question easy question how did Jesus do it how on earth under, the, under that kind of live fire, how does Jesus go to the cross without losing it? Without, without flipping and going, you know, you know, I don't have to put up with this. I'm, I created the world. It was created for my glory. I'm not having this anymore. You're not beating me. You're not spitting me. That's the easy question. Here's the scary question. How does Jesus expect you to do it? How does Jesus expect you to do it? To follow him. To take up your cross and suffer for the sake of his name. In live fire. Well, here's the thing. Look at what holds him. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. Or verse 8, he who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Or verse 9, who will condemn me? The reason I asked you at the start, in what ways do you seek to to copy Jesus, is because that's how this passage ends. He's asking exactly the same question of us right now. Verse 10, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? And notice the word of the servant now carries the same weight as the word of the Lord. And then he says this, let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. That is what we're supposed to do. But the other option is outlined in verse 11. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourself with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you've set ablaze this is what you shall receive from my hand you will lie down in torment do you know what that is to kind of light your own torches your own fires it means lighting a way lighting a path through life for yourself it's saying exactly what our culture wants to tell us to do all the time saying we are wise and we are capable and we are able to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong and how we ought to live you don't need God's word you don't need any external authority over you that's dangerous That is lighting your own fires for yourself. And you know what? Even if you're reading the Bible regularly, we read the Bible, don't we, through a particular grid. There are times when we kind of filter out the bits that we don't like, and we focus on the bits that we find particularly comforting. Always standing slightly apart from the Bible. I don't know if you, you know, I sometimes feel like we we treat the Bible like we do in a, 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 a sort of a socially awkward family friend. We kind of We're glad they turned up to the reunion, but we desperately hope we're not lumbered to sit next to them all night at the meal. Because we know, at times, he's going to say some things that are desperately un-PC, desperately embarrassing. (laughs) Loads of people say, you know, I like the Bible, but there are just these certain bits that I can't quite accept. And you know what we say, when we say that, we're saying the Gospel, the message of the Bible... It's not good news, it's just good advice. We're saying it's not good news, it's just good advice. That's very dangerous. It's very dangerous to say, well, I, I like some parts of the Bible, I find them quite useful to me every now and then. You know, we, tr- we treat medical textbooks more seriously than we do that. How can God be your saviour? How can you trust him and say, he is a massive part of my life, but he's wrong on this, and he's wrong on that? And we filter out all the stuff we don't say, that we, the, the, all the stuff he says that we don't find too comfortable. The stuff on gender or on human sexuality or how the, the challenge to re, how we relate to the poor or the vulnerable. Either we are in the judgment seat sort of weighing up what we think of the Bible or the Bible is in the judgment seat weighing up us. I think we, we like to say, oh, I've got a, I've got a, a, a view of God. You know, I love the songs that we sing, a big view of God. We like to say we've got a big view of God, but your view of God isn't big, it isn't even greater than you, until you found yourself disagreeing with God and finding yourself having to give way to him. That's when you know you've got a big view of God, or at least a bigger view of yourself, a bigger view of God than you do yourself. Verses 10 and 11 say, if you are lighting your own fires to make a path through the darkness of life, if you're doing that on your own, you can be sure of this. You are walking away from God, not towards Him. Something is guiding you, something is leading you, but it's not the Word of God. You're lighting your own fires. I don't think there's any of us here who would dare to say we are the living Word of God. I did not think I mean, no one's putting their hand up to say, "No, actually, I am." Um, none of us would hear to say, "Would say, I don't need the Bible because I'm God's voice." And yet, Jesus was that. He claimed to be the living Word of God, and even he, all the time, lived, breathed, quoted the Bible. He pl- placed himself within the authority of God's Word, even as the very voice of God. And so, this passage says, "What, what are you going to choose? What are you going to do? What are you going to choose?" What is lighting the way in your life of how you choose to live your life? What what are your priorities? Where do they come from? How are you going to endure suffering when it's very costly to follow Jesus? How are you going to speak to people kindly and gently and kind of bring people to Christ when that's painful and costly and difficult to do that? What is lighting up your way ahead of you? I asked you that question at the start. What what do you want to copy Jesus in? what do you want to copy? What, what is it in Jesus you want to copy? If you copy Jesus in anything, let it be this. Copy him in his, in his respect for God's word. Who among us fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. You know, we're all walking in the dark. Verse 10, it's a clear... It's as clear as day. It's as clear as day. We're all walking in the dark. (laughs) In Babylon, okay, they were walking in the dark. They didn't know where God was going to come from. They didn't know what was going to happen. They were walking in the dark. That's not. It's not. That's not the problem. It's okay to walk in the dark from time to time. Of course it is. It's where you go. It's where you go. It's what you expect to be lighting the way out. as nathan said the, the bottom line which is cover i'm going to the first thing i do when the service is over is i'll move the boxes and stuff away so you can get access to the whole bookstore you know, the bottom line of the bookstore over there just has a whole load of materials for reading the bible for yourself and with other people if that's something you struggle to do or, or when you do it you just find it kind of bounces off you you can i'll read a bit and then i just don't understand it and then i don't i don't know what to do with it the Bible is telling a story, a wonderful story. What does Jesus do with the disciples who uh, were on the road after his resurrection? And he appears to them, and he wants to encourage them and remind them and show them what he's done. What does he do? He starts with Moses and takes them through the whole story of the Bible. And what's the whole story of the Bible? It was all pointing to him. There is the story of the Bible. Don't, don't miss the wood for the trees, that's what I'm saying. And the books at the bottom there, and the little Bible studies and things, you take away have a look at them. Find them useful. Bring them back when you're done for other people. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the God, uh, name of the Lord, and rely on their God. Why don't we pray? Father God, we pray. We we know so often that we um, we do exactly what we ought not do. We we kind of we do wander through the dark and we try and make our own way through life and. Father we sift and filter your word and we filter out the things that we don't want to hear and we filter in the things that we hope to hear and Father we pray that you would help us to just walk humbly before your word. Father we pray particularly that you would help us to understand the message of the Bible that we would be greatly encouraged of your love and your mercy towards us that we wouldn't doubt we wouldn't be living in fear as Christians uh, of what you think of us but that we would be so sure so confident of what the gospel has done for us and achieved for us that we wouldn't be living lives filled with self-doubt and insecurity before you but father we pray that having our lives centered on you and what you think of us and how that's been expressed through the cross of christ father we pray that you would help us to be unmoved therefore and to go through life with it with a resolve a determination to be willing even to suffer for the sake of the name of christ and not just that but as we do it to continue daily exercising mercy and grace and compassion and kindness and warmth not just to the people around us who we love but even to the people we don't love even the people we find very difficult to love that father the character of our ministry will be utterly shaped um, by your kindness to us in the gospel amen